Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have this opportunity to come and study your word once again. Thank you, Lord, for your watch care over us. And even as we're about to open the Bible to study, please, Lord, open our hearts and minds. Guide and lead us is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see by the title of our video here, the study for this evening is the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, what does that mean? Are Pharisees righteous? Well, it is a continuation from what we were looking at last week. In our last study, we looked at the law and the prophets, and Jesus emphatically said, do not even think I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I've not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. The law was introduced and emphasized over those two verses that we looked at. And just to refresh real quick, here we see in Matthew 5, 17 to 18, the Bible says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The law, it was not destroyed. Even the least stroke of the law has not been changed before heaven and earth will pass away. And that even that event we discovered last week is in the future. And then today we come to our study on the righteousness of the Pharisees. And so let's continue reading there in Matthew 5, 19. The Bible says this, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do them, whosoever shall do them and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we are warned not to break the commandments and not to teach others to break them as well. But we're exhorted to do it and to teach others to keep it as well. The theme of the law is, is carried over from our previous study into the study that we're looking at today. But then it says in the very next verse, you know, it's not mentioning the law or the commandments at all, but what next topic is brought up? Well, that's the topic of our study for this evening, Matthew 5.20, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and of the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus says. If not, we are not even to think that we can even enter into heaven at all. So we see a very clear progression here. In verse 17 and 18, it introduces the law and its unchangeableness, its eternal characteristics where we should not even think that Jesus came to destroy it, but he came to establish it and uphold it and live it. But then in verse 19, we are exhorted to keep the commandments, but not just that. We are exhorted to teach others to keep it as well. But then we come to verse 20 and we are warned that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes or the Pharisees or else we are not going to get into heaven. So somehow righteousness is connected with the law. Righteousness is connected with the Ten Commandments. And do we see this in other places in Scripture? Absolutely. Let's go to Psalms 119 verse 172. 
The Bible says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are what? Are righteousness. So all of God's commandments are righteous. Every single one of them. And so yes, somehow the law and the commandments and the keeping of it and making sure that it's not been broken, it is connected with righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, 19 tells us that before we can teach others, we must make sure that we ourselves are doing it, that we ourselves are living that law and applying it in our lives. And obviously, there were people out there disobeying the Ten Commandments. But not only that, they were also teaching others that there was no need to obey the commandments at all. And you know, friends, this sort of people, God said, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And you know, to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven does not imply that that person is actually going to make it into heaven. That one that broke the Ten Commandments, that taught others to break it as well. It doesn't mean that, oh, they're the least in the kingdom of heaven. They made it into heaven. That's not what the Bible is teaching there. That's not what Jesus is teaching there. But rather, heaven would regard them as the least. Heaven and those that are in heaven would regard them as the smallest. So it's more so the attitude that those in heaven would look down on those that are breaking the law and how they would view them. They would be considered the least. Do you see that? So that's how God and the heavenly host will look at those that not only disobey, but also teach others to disobey the commandments of God as well. So the point is very clear when we connect it to the scribes and the Pharisees in the next verse, as they would in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? If our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, then we, like them, would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But here's a quick question for all of us. What actually is the least of the Ten Commandments? What is the least one to you? What is the most, how, how do you say, the, the smallest, the easiest to break, I would say. You know, there are some that require action and others by thought. And there are some that are kind of in between, right? Personally, I think that covetousness is the least commandment. It is really, that's the 10th commandment. And that is such a difficult and hard sin to detect, actually. You know, we can only know the state of our covetousness, whether we are actually covetous in our heart or not, when it's manifested in some other action. So covetousness begins in the heart, but it's a state in the heart and it really stays there. But we know we are covetous. For example, if, if a man is covetous over another man's phone, Maybe he'll steal from that person. Maybe he'll kill that man for it. So another of the other commandments are broken. And so in order to really detect covetousness, it's manifested in some other sin, some other action. The 10th commandment is very clear. I mean, it says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. And there's no other woman like that on the earth. We're all unique individuals. And it's just like David. Uh, King David, he coveted Bathsheba. What happened? He ended up killing Uriah for it. He committed adultery, you see? So one of the other Ten Commandments were broken because of covetousness. So, you know, that's a really difficult sin to detect. And Jesus is saying, if you break the least of it, you are not going to make it into heaven. 
But, you know, there are others that are simple to break as well, such as, you know, taping, taking God's name in vain. It's not so much an action, but it's by how we speak. But either way, you know, I'm not here to debate with, with any of us here what we all think is the least. Jesus is simply saying, no matter which one you think is the smallest, is the least important, it's still enough to keep you out of heaven. But here's the thing, though. You know, we connected commandments with righteousness, right? And that's what we kind of intimated there. Somehow, not only just commandments in general, but we got to do it and we got to teach others because we have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Doesn't mean that we are actually saved by the keeping of the law. Are we saved by works? Well, what does the Bible say? Romans chapter 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be what? Shall be justified. And you see that word just and justified, that means righteous. So we are righteous only when we keep the law? Is that what Paul is intimating there as he's writing there in the book of Romans? Why does Paul seem to focus on works? Surely we are not saved by keeping of any law, right? What's he trying to highlight? Well, let him explain himself there in verse 15, which show the work of the law written where? In their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or also excusing one another. You see, friends, in the keeping of the law, what it does when, you know, when we actually become a doer of the law, when we actually keep the commandments of God, it simply shows that the law of God is written here, written here in our mind, in our hearts. In other words, friends, it is impossible to keep any of the Ten Commandments. Let's start with those. Those are the most basic, right? There are other things that God instructs in His Word for us to keep or to do, but let's start with those basic ten. It is impossible, it's an impossibility, to keep the Ten Commandments without having the law in our heart first. And evidence that we have the law in our heart is found in obedience. Like, how do you know you have the law in your heart? How do you know if I have the law in our hearts? It, it just, just because I memorize the law? You know, have you memorized the Ten Commandments? Exodus 1 through 7, uh, 20, verse 1 through 17. There are some that have memorized it, but it doesn't mean that they put it in their hearts, right? How do we know if we actually have it in our hearts? It is manifested in obedience to the law. So I can't open your mind and look into your heart, right? I can't look into your skull or your brain and see, oh yeah, 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 there's the law right there. It's not any literal putting it there, but God, when He puts it there, the action will be manifested to show that the law is right here. It's our priority. It's our belief system. It, it's what we put in high regard. You know, I'd rather uh, die than lie. I'd rather die than steal. I'd rather die than, you know, dishonor my parents. So the keeping of the law is only the fruit. And that's why Paul says he can do that. He can say that because it's a revelation of what's in our heart. Scriptures, they manifest, uh, harmonize and, and make it very clear in this as well. Let's go to another text. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see that, friends? We aren't saved by works. We are saved by grace and grace alone through the arm of faith that grabs hold of grace. But how do we know we are saved? What does grace do? Well, it creates a new creature in Christ Jesus unto good works. Do you see that? We are not just having good thoughts when we are saved. We actually have good works. Let's go to another text. James 2.17, familiar text, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Okay, so look, true faith will be manifested in true works. Neither by itself is a real how do you say, is a real thing that's given from God. If we have faith, we will have works. You can't say, I have faith, but I don't need to have works. Or, I don't need to have faith. I just got the works and that's good enough. No, these two things must go together. For to have faith without works is really no faith. Or faith that broken, it's broken. Okay, so it's not true faith. True faith manifested in works. So look, our focus shouldn't simply be on works. It shouldn't be all about just simply keeping the Ten Commandments. It should be on our faith that ought to produce good works. Do you see that? So those that are great in the kingdom of heaven, they, they, they do both. They do it and they also teach others. Okay? What? The commandments of God. You know, friends, what do you call someone that teaches but doesn't do? It's a hypocrite. Or in the religious terms, we call them Pharisee, right? And that's why Jesus exhorts us to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We've got to go beyond what they do. And obviously, something to do with what? They teach, but they don't do. Okay? Jesus doesn't want them to stop teaching. He wants them to do and teach. He wants to put them both together. But let's look real quick at what the righteousness of the Pharisees are in Scripture. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. Look at this. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe. That observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say, and what? Do not. Do you see that? They say, and they don't do it. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uttermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called men of men, rabbi, Rabbi. So Jesus, you know, he says something quite interesting about the Pharisees. He says what? You know, do what they say, just don't do what they do. Don't follow their example. But actually, some of the things that the Pharisees taught was really good. Yes, they bind grievous burdens that are hard to be borne by men, but they themselves don't do it. Their works is just all for show. They want the best seats in, in, the, in the feasts, right? They, they make broad their flatteries. They're trying to show everybody, hey, hey, look, I'm so good, I'm so good. That's what they do. 
And Jesus says, do not follow them. Don't follow their example, for they say, but they don't do. And our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Let's not say first. Let's make sure we build a foundation of doing. But if we want to build a foundation of doing, it's not righteousness by works. We've got to build a foundation of true faith. Do you see that? They, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were the religious leaders. But it was all a show. What is true righteousness? We've kind of seen it in Matthew. But let other parts of the Bible speak. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. And this is describing unrighteousness. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Not a single person is righteous. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Do you see that? There's no one righteous. Obviously, this text is talking not about the righteous, but the unrighteous. And what does it say? There's none that does good. So if you are righteous, you do good. Righteousness is all about doing good. But specifically, what is the good that we must do? Let's keep reading in Romans. Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandments holy and just and good. So if you're righteous friends, and you do good, you will do, you will keep, you will obey the law and the commandments because that is what is good. You know, the definition of good can be, oh yeah, he's a nice person and, you know, he helps me with my homework. But, you know, we've got to let the Bible define that, right? And the Bible says, what is good? It's his law. It's God's law. It's his commandments. So if the righteous do good and the good is found in the commandments, there we see very clearly it harmonizes with Matthew chapter 5. So you see, the Pharisees, it seemed like they did good things. Like what? Washing hands before they ate. But the things that really mattered, the things that were important to God, like the keeping of His Ten Commandments, they left undone. Matthew chapter 15, look at this. Verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus came to the scribes and the Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So the, the, the Pharisees were having this problem with, with Jesus and his disciples. They're like, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. But then how does Jesus respond in verse 3? But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? Do you see that? And then we jump down to verse 7, and nine, 7 8 and 9. You hypocrites. You see that? Jesus called them hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees, the scribes, they were all about their traditions. Traditions that were not centered and founded on the Bible and the scriptures. It had nothing to do, well, I guess it had to do with church, but it wasn't anything that God wanted them to do. They were doing seemingly good things, but it wasn't the meat and the substance of what God wanted them to do. And they did all these things, 
to the exclusion of keeping the Ten Commandments. The things that they did was more important than what God wanted them to do. You see that? They made their traditions much more important than God's law. And Jesus exhorts us, friends. He tells us we got to go beyond that, way beyond that, if we wish to enter into heaven. We've got to go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. Does God expect us to keep the commandments perfectly today? Yes, absolutely He does. What happens when we break it, friends? 1 John 3, 4 tells us, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. If we sin, friends, we know that no sinner is going to into heaven. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned. All of us deserve death. All of us have sinned. All of us are unrighteous. Romans 3 said already there's none righteous, no, not one. But does Jesus still expect us to be perfect? Yes. Yes, he does. We have all sinned, yes but He still requires perfect obedience. He wants us to stop sinning. Otherwise, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of us is in vain. Do you see that? How can we go beyond that and really obey? How can we go from a sinner to a saint? How can we be living in disobedience all our life, now live in perfect obedience? Well, in Matthew 5.19, if we do and teach the comments to others, that's what Jesus tells us to do, right? But that doesn't tell us how we can be righteous. Well, we go back a little bit more. Matthew 5, 17 to 20, it doesn't tell us how we can be righteous as well. It says we, that's just what we must be, right? We must do and teach and we must keep it. Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. It doesn't really tell us how. I've told you that, you know, we got to keep it. I told you, yes, building our faith is important, but let's go a bit more. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, you know what it tells us? We studied this two weeks ago. It tells us not how we can be righteous, but it tells us we got to be lights to the world. we got to shine the light of the gospel, of the glory of God to everybody. In other words, we should teach the law to other people. We should be witnessing, we should be lights, we should be guiding people through the Word of God and telling them about Jesus, right? Teaching the law. So that doesn't tell us how we can be righteous, at least not what we've seen so far. You go back a little bit further, three, three to four weeks of study ago, Matthew 5.13 tells us what? we got to be the salt of the earth. It doesn't tell us how. It just says you got to be salt. you got to Tell other people, just like the light, tell other people about the Bible. Tell other people about Jesus. we got to teach the law. we got to make an impact on this world in a positive way. But it doesn't tell us how we can be righteous. So how can we actually be righteous? Why does Jesus expect perfect obedience? Is, why is it such a high claim? Why is it something that God requires and makes such a high standard when it seems impossible? Did He start off that way? No, he didn't. He started off with what? The Beatitudes. You see, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that realize their need of him. That's what it means. And then it said, blessed are those that mourn, those that realize their sins, and they are sorry for their sin. They they feel bad for stealing or for lying or for killing or for whatever it is, right? Even for coveting. 
They mourn for their sins. And then it said, blessed are the meek. Those who look to Jesus, who is the meek and lowly one, and learn of Him, and His, His burden is light. We've got to yoke and connect ourselves with Christ. And then it said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yes, we've got to hunger and thirst. It's not just enough to have your sins forgiven. It's not enough just to confess your sins. We've got to go hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. And then it said, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. But then in Matthew 5, at the end of the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Friends, you cannot be persecuted for righteousness' sake if you are not righteous. So obviously, all the steps before the Beatitudes, it must teach us how we can be righteous. And on what point is that, friends? It's a process. Realizing your need, realizing where, where you've come short, realizing how bad a person you are and what a sinner we are and how much we need Jesus and then going to Christ, confessing, seeking forgiveness, but not stopping there, but going on. Even after Jesus has cleansed us from our sins and give us a clean slate, He says you've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So you won't go back to your old life of sin. Allow the Word of God. All thy commandments are righteousness. Allow the Ten Commandments to sit in our heart and in our mind to transform us. You see, friends, the reason why we we think, think of it as such an impossibility because many of us are still living in sin. We have secret sins to hide and we despise the preacher that tells us that you can be righteous when the Bible is so clear. Don't just teach others. Before you do that, make sure you do it. Make sure you obey. Didn't, did, Jesus didn't say, before you, you, you teach others, make sure you have faith. He says, no, blessed are those that do and teach They'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yes. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to obey perfectly. But we got to seek after righteousness. We got to hunger and thirst after it. We got to spend time in it. We got to saturate our lives in it. That's why God wants us to experience the new covenant experience. It is exactly going to help us to obey. Look at this. Hebrews 10:16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. What is the new covenant? He wants to write His law in our hearts and in our minds. Yes, God wants to write His law in our hearts and in our minds. But is there a part for us to play? Absolutely, of course there is. God is not just going to just magically write it there without any effort on our part. Remember, friends, faith and works. We must hunger and thirst for it as we commune with God in His Word, in His law, His character, His glory. It'll be formed within. We'll become a new creature. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. Look at it. Psalms 119 and verse 11 says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Do you see that, friends? God 
says, when we write, hide, pardon me, the word of God in our hearts, we will not sin against Him. It's salvation by cooperation. If we take the time to write that word in our hearts, allow God to write it in our hearts, it's because we're taking time to hide it in our hearts. We're taking time to read it. We're taking time to meditate upon it. We're taking time to memorize it. You know, some of us, we if we want to come have complete victory over sin, some of us are going to have to sit there and just memorize Scripture verse by verse by verse. God, He wants to put His heart, put His law in our hearts and in our minds, but we got to allow Him to do that. We've got to surrender to it, which means we've got to take time to allow Him to do that, friends. If we are not sinning against Him, we are keeping His law. He's giving us victory. This is the remedy. So the reason why the Pharisees say but don't do is because they're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're not hungering and thirsting after God's law. Can you believe this? Of religious leaders in those days? They weren't spending time in the Word of God? Yes, friends, it's even possible today. Pastors, they think that they're preaching and that, oh, I'm studying the Word of God, so that's my time with God. That's my time in the Bible. Surely that must have some good effect, right? It does to some extent, but we ourselves, even as ministers, those are full-time in ministry. Just because we're opening up the Bible to people every day, just because we're praying with people every day, that does not substitute our time with God. But the Pharisees thought that was good enough. I'm going to church. I'm teaching people. Actually, they weren't even teaching people about God's law. And that's the problem, friends. When you're involved in full-time ministry and all you do is teach and preach without commune with God, what you teach and preach will become like the Pharisees. It'll become tradition because we ourselves have no idea about God's Word, about God's law, Friends, we've got to make sure that we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And you're saying, well, I, I don't need to teach. I, I don't teach. But God says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you've you got to do and teach. The Gospel Commission says, you've you got to teach and to preach to the whole world. That, that was to everybody. That was the Gospel Commission to every Christian, friends. It's not just pastors and teachers and evangelists and Bible workers and all of that. No, friends. We, every single one of us, are called to a mission, to a ministry. We're called to be lights to this world. We're called to be salt of the earth. We're called to be teachers and preachers and sharers of the Word of God. No matter how loud or quiet we might think we are, no matter how shy we are, no matter how scared we are, God calls each and every one of us. And the foundation for all of this is found in the Beatitudes. It is. And this was a struggle of the Pharisees, you know. They didn't go through those steps of happiness, steps of conversion. And they got to the point where they themselves did not know Christ. They did not know, ah, in those days it wasn't Christ, but they did not know even what the Scriptures taught. You know, all they taught was tradition. They, they you know, wash your hands before you eat. They, they, they were teaching hygiene, but it had nothing to do with the law in some extent, right? But it's possible, friends, to go to church all your life and not know Jesus. That, that was my life. 
You know, I grew up in a Christian home all my life. I grew up in an Adventist home all my life. I went to church every single week. My parents never missed it. Even when we were on holiday, we went to church, wherever it was, you know. And not only that, I thought my, my, my parents were really strict about this. My mom wouldn't even let me wear jeans to go to church. I had to dress up formally, you know. I had all the traditions of, of going to church. But I never spent time in my Bible during the week at all. I knew where the books of the Bible were. I knew there were 66 books in the Bible. I knew how to turn to them and I knew where they were, but I did not know my Savior. And it's possible to have all these traditions of doing and not knowing the God behind it. To the extent that we come and rely more on human teaching rather than the Word of God itself. To the point that even you might sit there and disagree with me and say, Ben, you can't be perfect. What are you talking about? You're teaching heresy. But friends, have you investigated the Scriptures? Have you looked at what the Bible says? The Bible is so clear. How can we have true righteousness today, friends? How can we ensure that our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees? I want to leave with you with a simple text that we all know. Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When you read that Bible text, it's a familiar text to all of us. But what is familiar? Righteousness and the kingdom of God. That's what we've looked at today. Unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, we shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we got to seek, not just the kingdom of God. We got to seek righteousness. We got to make it our first work to seek His Word, to seek His law. And as a result, all these other things will be added to you. What other things will be added to us? You don't need to focus on adding good works. Those good works are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those good works will come as a result of communing and spending time with God. Where our focus needs to be it's not, ah, oh, i got to do the good work and that's it, you know, as if we got to really work so hard to get to heaven. No. God and His Word will be written in our hearts and minds. It will become our desire. It will become our passion. It will become our character. And we will delight to spend time with God on the Sabbath. We'll delight to be honest. We'll delight to honor our parents. We'll delight to make God our first and our last and our best. God will add all those good actions because He will give us a new birth. And so friends, let's make this our first work to seek God, to seek His Word, to seek His law every morning. And maybe if you want to change it up, start memorizing the Scriptures, spending time in the Word of God and not just reading but even memorizing. And may He be the first and the last and the best of our days. Then, as we put the Word of God in our hearts, friends, it will transform us. It will keep us from sinning. The Word of God will be that power that will help us to do it and to mold us into the man and the woman of God that He desires for each and every one of us to be. So let us seek. Let us seek Him with all our hearts. We'll find Him. We will. And we will find righteousness as well.
Come, let us pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, forgive us because we are so lazy with our spiritual lives so many times. We don't seek. We just wish for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon us without any effort on our part. Lord, we just want to pray a quick 30-second prayer and say, God, give us your Spirit. You promised it. Thank you. And we just want to walk out of here just righteous without any effort. But Lord, so many of us, we have been lazy. We've been lackadaisical with our spiritual lives. We've just been expecting you to do everything. If we just sit there as we come to church and just sit there in the pews and listen. Lord, please help us to seek you. Help us to search for you. Help us to come, to be quiet in your presence. Help us, Lord, to commune with you each and every day. And then, Father, I know, I know because your word is true and I know because I've experienced it, Lord, you will transform us into your image. And so, Father, help us to prove your word true. Help us to have that experience today. May you guide each and every one of us. May you lead us, Lord. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to seek you first in your kingdom and all that righteousness that you have in your word for us. Lord, may that be our experience this evening. Even as we stop here, may we find time to spend with you even as we rest from all our works on the Sabbath. Thank you, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.